0: morning we're going to um, continue our series looking at uh, focus, and today we're going to look at focusing on unity. Why do we need unity? How can we live in unity? And how can we maintain unity? We're going to spend time in three passages of scripture. And so if you're a note taker, here they are. John 17, 20 through to 26, known as Jesus' high priestly prayer. John 15, 1 to 13, where Jesus talks about being the vine and we are the branches. And James 3, 13 through to James 4, about verse 10, talking about the getting of true wisdom. As Christians, we are called to be one, to be unified, but we haven't always been known for our unity. Throughout history, Christians have not always treated each other with dignity and respect. Wars between Christian nations have scarred the landscape of time. In some countries, the denomination that you go to and the badge that you wear excludes you from entry into other places. And our adversary, Satan, knows that disunity is ugly. And if he can keep us divided, who would want a bar of Jesus? If he can divide us, if he can take our focus off the cross... Then we fight and bicker and judge and criticise and we look ugly and the gospel is tarnished. Way back in the Old Testament times, King David said in Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And we could add, and how unpleasant it is when they don't. Sadly, we have all lived through experiences of disunity. As Christians worldwide, um, we need unity. And as Christians locally, we need unity. Jesus knew how important it was and he prayed for us to have it. Known as the Farewell Discourse or Jesus High Priestly Prayer, John records the prayer that Jesus prayed for us in John 17, and I'm going to read it. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but for all who ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will be one, just as you and I are one, just as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. May they be in us, so the world will believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given to me to be with me where I am then they can see all the glory that you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know that you sent me. I have revealed you to them and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. I in them and you in me, if we are in Christ and if we have made that step of faith, if we claim Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, then Jesus by his Holy Spirit dwells in each of us. His lifeblood flowing through us and everyone around you this morning. That reminds me to be kind. It forces me to be humble. And it means that today, in every interaction that I have with each of you, I will remember that God dwells in you too. You are royalty because of the Spirit of God dwelling within you. Even in someone who looks different to me, or someone who has a different theological standpoint on an issue from me, God lives in them too. Jesus' prayer for us, was for unity. His prayer was not for uniformity. He wasn't interested in all of his family looking exactly the same. The aim was never that the world church-wide should look the same in its service or the way it expresses its worship. The church in each country and in each city must live out the gospel values, the gospel of grace. But each of us must contextualise to the culture in which we have been placed without compromising the truth. We have an example of this in Jeremiah 29 where God's people are living as exiles in Babylon and he says to them something very clearly. He says to them this, be involved in the culture but be distinctive. Don't compromise. God has given us the gospel And he expects us to share that in our communities. And along with the gospel, he expects us to be his hands and feet, to do justly. Tim Keller, who Ross played an interview of two weeks ago, says this, Evangelism and justice must be done hand in hand. It is not an option to do one without the other. The Bible doesn't say that we can choose between the two of them. But how that looks will vary from church to church and city to city. Tim Keller's church, Redeemer, has set up an organisation called Redeemer City to City. It's a leadership organisation that is to help prayerfully help the leaders in each city strengthen their churches and advance the gospel. I was fascinated to read their latest report. The Australian CEO is Andrew Cattay, and his article was entitled A Patchwork of Contextualisation. He says this, The gospel is powerful. It changes everything. But in order for a person to connect with the gospel message, it has to speak directly to that person. Ministry leaders must study the context and contextualise their presentation of the gospel so that it acknowledges and responds to their neighbours' hopes and dreams and fears and beliefs and idols. He made a comment about the culture of the city of Sydney, and I lived there for 16 years and I was born in the Sutherland Shire, and he says this. He says, there's a place called the Sutherland Shire, which is in the south of Sydney. There's a forest to the south and a river to the north, and if we want to do mission and pray for the gospel movement in the Shire, we will do it differently than how we would do it in the southwestern suburbs of Sydney, which is a largely immigrant area, ethnically diverse and socioeconomically and socio culturally distinct. You and I could use those examples in Toowoomba. What you would do as mission in Wilsonton is different from what you could do as mission in Prince Henry Heights to meet the needs of the community of people who live there and need to know Jesus. What you do in Harristown is different from what you could do at Toowoomba East. People are different in those suburbs. They have different triggers. They have different interests. They have different fears and different beliefs. Andrew Kate says this, Baptist, Presbyterian, Anglican, Episcopalian, Church of Christ, Brethren and Lutheran. They can all actually genuinely come together and put aside whatever fear or suspicion or uncertainty they have had in the past and allow not just the bonds of fellowship, but the bonds of missional fellowship to really draw them together. He finishes this article with this statement, for me... It's the doctrine, the reality, the astonishing grace of the incarnation which says that Jesus Christ became human and took our nature to himself. That gives us confidence to say that the gospel of the incarnate Jesus Christ, crucified and risen and reigning now, will speak to, critique and complete any culture of any spiritual profile. And that's just within Australia, let alone Asia and Latin America and Europe and and so on. Where the gospel touches, where the gospel corrects or rebukes, where the gospel fulfills will be a little bit different in each of those places. And listen to this sentence. And so you've got to take the gospel and not change it, not dilute it, But know how to play its tune in the right key for the culture. And so you've got to take the gospel, you've got to not change it, not dilute it, but know how to play its tune in the right key for the culture that God has called you to minister to. Our human nature wants to replicate what someone else is doing successfully. We see something we like in another church or in another denomination. Perhaps it's somewhere where we can see that God is blessing and we want to replicate it because we think that if we replicate that, growth will happen. We want to worship like Bethel because then the Spirit of God will get us on our knees. And if we had weekly healings, then people would come get healed and saved. Or maybe we need more corporate prayer and then God would know that we're really relying on him or more solid Bible teaching, and then the spirit of God could reveal himself to us, if we just get the formula right, the spirit will flow. We paint unity as though it is all of us doing the same thing, but that's not unity. God loves diversity. Just look at the person sitting beside you. God loves size, and he loves shape, and he loves color, and he has a sense of humor. He loves language and smell and song, tuneful and tuneless. It brings him great joy. God does not love Brendan's offerings of praise any more than he loves Ross's offerings of praise. (laughs) Now, you and I might appreciate one more than the other, (laughs) but Brendan and Ross are not doing it for us. They are worshipping God. Diversity is all around us. In nature, no two flowers are the same. No two trees are identical. No two countries look the same. What we need to focus on is what the Spirit of God is doing within us. And we need to express that in love. In John 13, the writer says, But by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How will people know that we are Jesus' disciples? Not by the way we look, not by what we wear, or the way that we express worship here this morning, or by the building that we worship in. John 13 says that people will know that we love God if we love one another. It's been a struggle right from the day dot for people to love each other. The first century church struggled with it too and Paul had to caution the young church in Rome that they shouldn't be so judgmental because judgment belongs to God. In chapter 1 of Romans, Paul lays out God's anger at sin. He sets about naming sins that God is angry about and I'm sure the church was silently nodding away to themselves going, yeah, I agree, I agree. But then he hits them with this little nugget. Romans 2 verse 1, you may think you can condemn such people but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and they should be punished, you are condemning yourself for you who judge others do the very same things. When we find ourselves feeling justifiably angry about someone's sin, we need to be careful. We need to speak humbly. It's often the sins that we notice most clearly in others that we are concerned have taken hold in us. Judgment seems easier than love. Perhaps judgment feels like more of a natural thing to do because comparison is everywhere in our society. Love for each other is not always easy. Jesus knew it and he prayed for us. And his prayer was that we would be one just as he and the Father are one, that God is in him and he is in us, and that the world would know that God sent Jesus because of the way that we treat each other. We know that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have different tasks, and yet they are one. So it is with us. We have different tasks, but we are one. We can know unity amongst ourselves only if we are living in union with God. Each of us connected to the vine, the source, to God, is united to all the other branches who are doing the same thing. And that brings us to John 15. And Brendan mentioned this reading last week. As I read this passage, I want you to count how many times John uses the word remain. I am the true grapevine, and the Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. You cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you will ask for anything you want and it will be granted." When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and I remain in his love, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy Yes, your joy may overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. How many did you get to? Ten. Ten times in 13 verses, Jesus uses the word remain. The Greek word here is the word meno, it's a verb, and it means to abide, to remain, to continue, to endure. The life of Christ, abiding and remaining in the lives of the believers, produces fruit. A genuine believer never experiences the condition of not having the abiding Spirit of God. The Spirit of God isn't there one moment and gone the next. The abiding spirit is the permanent relationship with the believer, just as the vine is with its branches. God is not fickle, but our focus can be fickle. If our focus is on what's going wrong around us, then we will lose sight of God. If our focus is on ourselves, on our rights, on our desires, then we won't see what God has in store for us. We need to spend time in our Bibles, in the Word. We need to spend time in prayer, both personal personal prayer and corporate prayer. We need to focus on the cross, to focus on Jesus, to learn about him, to ask his spirit to flow through us. We need to surround ourselves with people who challenge us and encourage us. We need to admit where we are wrong, Let me say that again, we need to admit when we are wrong and we need to seek God's forgiveness. We need to allow God to put his finger on the things that we have not fully surrendered to him. We need to stay close, to lean in, to encourage each other. And for that, we need God's wisdom. And that brings us to James chapter 3. James, the brother of Jesus, James who had a ticket to the main event I wonder how he felt about that. Was it his temptation to feel jealous or abandoned by his brother? He challenges us about true wisdom. I'm going to read. Do you want to be counted wise to build a reputation for wisdom? Here's what you do you live well, you live wisely, and you live humbly. It's about the way you live, not the way you talk, that counts. Mean-spirited ambition isn't wisdom. Boasting that you are wise is not wisdom. Twisting the truth to make yourselves sound wise isn't wisdom. It's the furthest thing from wisdom. It's animal cunning and devilish plotting. When you're trying to look better than others or to get the better of others, things fall apart and everyone ends up at each other's throats. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterised by getting along with others. It is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, not hot one day and cold the next day, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoys its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honour. Real wisdom. Verse 17, the NIV calls real wisdom, wisdom that comes from heaven. The outcome of real wisdom is a robust community, a strong community. So how are you going with real wisdom? Is your life characterised by getting along with other people? Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, wanted the church there to understand that they were a unified assembly. They were not to see each other and themselves as a collective of competing interests or independent individuals. Paul was emphasising the intent of Jesus' prayer in John 17, that the believers be unified in God. He says this, Don't you realise that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives within you? All of you together, says the NLT. The NIV says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that the God's Spirit dwells in your midst? We often use that verse, don't we, as an individual thought, you know, that the Spirit of God lives within me. But don't forget, Paul didn't write to an individual. He wrote to a church He said, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the spirit of God lives in you? James goes on to say, and we're going to pick it up from about verse 6. God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. Grieve and mourn and wail, and change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom, and humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. There are so many thoughts in these verses, aren't there? Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And it is he who lifts us up. God opposes the proud. God hates the pride. And God gives grace to the humble. Would you read these verses this week? Would you ask God to help you apply them to your life? James 3.13 through to James 4.10. If we could apply these teachings in our lives, the spirit of God would change us from the inside out. You see, unity is not just a nice thought. It is vital if we as the people of Humorage live and love and show the world what a difference that makes. In Romans 12, Paul says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Our diversity at Humorage is what makes us unique. Our reliance on God and his Holy Spirit makes us strong. Our focus on the cross makes us stand as one, and that's unity. We are not in competition with Highlands or Civic or Range Community Church or Restoration or St Bart's. They are our family, responding to the Spirit of God as he has called them to respond in their context we cheer them on and we pray for their work. Online yesterday, I read a really good quote by Karen Newhoff. He's a Canadian pastor, speaker, podcaster. Some of us have heard him speak at GLS. He says this, You will never be the only church God uses. You just won't. And we'd better all get along. If we, and we'd be better off if we adopted that approach. God designed churches to complement each other, not compete with each other. There is effectiveness in diversity that many people miss. It's going to take all of us to accomplish the wider mission the church has been given. So, what you bring to worship this morning is not just for your benefit, it's for the benefit of the whole church. And that's why. If you are able, being together is so important. It's wonderful that we live stream. And last Sunday morning, I sat at home sick with COVID in my PJs and sang to my television and took communion by myself. Without live streaming, this season of the pandemic would have been awful and lonely. But my TV will never replace being together and worshipping with you here. Don't you realise that all of you together are the temple of God and that his Holy Spirit lives in us? I have some severely introverted friends and being together in a large crowd is not a comfortable thing for them always. But being together is what God has designed us to do. So let's be gentle. Let's be humble. Let's submit to the Spirit of God. Let's champion the work of the church universal. And can I encourage you to get into these three passages this week? Break down the verses. Apply them to your life. Ask God to hold a magnifying glass to your heart and open up the places in your heart that you have never allowed him to get to before because the Holy Spirit is a gentleman and he will not barge into areas where you have not invited him. And so it's possible. That there are areas in your life where you have never allowed God to put his finger. And this morning as we sing and as we worship, I want you to think about that. I want you to ponder on what what is it that you have not committed to God? What things have you held on to? What, What have you not asked for forgiveness for? What can't God touch because you haven't surrendered it to him? Let's work out what remain in me looks like. Let's work on a strategy for abiding in Jesus. Let's ask God for his wisdom, real wisdom, and live a life that is humble and kind, a life that is submitted to the Spirit of God. Work out what it really looks like to love each other authentically, because by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another let's be that church i mean